Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, August 24th, 2020. On the show today, news from the parks. And in our main segment, Jim finishes up the story of Disney's quest for a nighttime entertainment program at the Animal Kingdom. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says he's going to work on being less condescending. And that condescending means talking down to other people. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Well, you know, the other definition of condescending is a criminal on an escalator. But hey, you know. <laughs> That's good. That's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Jim, this is now Schmerstein weeks in a row with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. I hope you all are enjoying the in-park ambient audio we're recording. Last week was Epcot, and this week we go on rides at Animal Kingdom. Thanks to new subscribers, Kelly Green Jenny, BJF4, and Wally D, and longtime subscribers, Julie P, Eric R, and Amanda at the library. Jim, these are the folks who select all the colorful tiles that go in Disney bathrooms around property. So if you've ever been in the bathrooms in Frontierland and Adventureland and wanted to know exactly which shade that amazing avocado green is, now you know who to ask. True story, Jim. <laughs> well, okay. Now, now I know who to take with Lowe's to me. So, all right. <laughs> and, and the reason why I, I, I know this is I was actually in one of the restrooms and there is an amazing avocado green. It's just this really deep saturated green. And I'm like, I, I should put this in like my, I would put this in my, Lanai room if I had a Lanai room and I wanted to theme it more tropically. That's what I was thinking. There you go. All right, folks, let's do the uh, the news. Jim, I was in the Magic Kingdom yesterday and I noticed that the stores have started with the Halloween merchandise because it's, it's mid-August. Why not, right? There you go. My guess is uh, this was designed to coincide with the beginning of Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, which would have started on August 13th, but of course that didn't happen. But my sense is these things are ordered like in January, February, Jim? Oh, try November of the, you know, in oh, fact, yeah, okay. the thing that kind of broke my heart is if you actually go over to Shop Disney, this is the first year they're offering an adult version of the Sanderson sisters' costumes, the, the Winnie, Sarah, and uh, I'm blanking the other sister. They've had that Hocus Pocus spectacular since 2015 at this point and you know it's been a few years yeah yeah, they were really looking forward to cashing in this year and and not so much the thing i did notice though is that the halloween decorations haven't gone up quite yet and i don't know if, if, that, if that's a, a staffing issue mm. or they just don't have the staff to do it or what but uh i'd be surprised if we don't see it by labor day i think you're correct there i, I think Especially given how heavily they were, they're relying on local right now. Oh, we're going to talk about that yeah. in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we'll segue into that by saying I was in the studios this morning mm-hmm. and I saw the uh, new walkthrough security scanners that are in place. And it means you don't have to take small metal objects out of your pockets or bags anymore. And it really speeds up uh, getting to the parks. So that was uh, super good. And, uh, and speaking of DHS, mm-hmm. of the studios, Disney's readjusted park capacity to allow more access to annual pass holders. And that helps out at the studios. But Jim, that seems to be a sign that Disney's not getting the number of hotel guests or day guests that they expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while the annual pass holders can fill in the gaps, you know, in those parks, uh, Bob Chapek himself has said that the annual pass holders aren't as profitable as family families on vacation. So my question to you is this, are we going to see limited hotel room discounts at Walt Disney World anytime soon? 
you've got both resorts, Universal Orlando and Disney, dealing with with a you know, huge oversupply of capacity. In fact, did, did you see where Universal is shutting down Sapphire Falls and the Aventura on the 28th? Aventura, right. Yeah, yeah. just taking them completely I mean, out of the inventory. I like, I, I like a lot of Universal hotels. Those are probably my two least favorite. Mm-hmm. But the newest ones there, I mean, those two, it's easy to see where they took them out of the inventory. They're almost irretrievably linked together. I think they share a parking yeah. garage and the like. When you're relying on locals now, to fill those rooms, you don't need as many hotels. And that's why I honestly would be surprised if we don't see Disney do some rather severe discounting to just to make, you know, the whole notion of, hey, you live in Orlando, but you could stay here. You drive. Why do you want to drive all the way over there yeah. down I-4? Oh, it's a mess. Yeah. Just spend the night. Yeah, that's um, uh, it's funny you mentioned Universal because my sister Christina stayed there over the weekend mm-hmm. at cabana bay and loved it and cabana bay was it's not full Mm -hmm. but it was definitely doing healthy business good Uh, so that was good so it's kind of like disney has everybody at at pop century Mm -hmm. right now all the value stuff is at pop so i think it's the same thing there but she she loved it she had a great time she brought the family over cool Um, that was great and and we love to hear the word healthy during a quarantine healthy exactly that's a good word exactly exactly the other reason i mentioned this is that um we're starting to see pop century deals Mm -hmm. On Hotwire, remember the uh, a few episodes ago, um, we talked about how our friend John, who may or may not have worked for a government agency in Eastern Europe for a number of years, <laughs> figured out how to determine that Priceline deals were for specific Disney hotels. Mm-hmm. So John has turned his attention now to Hotwire. Mm-hmm. And it looks like there are Hotwire deals for the rest of August and September at Pop Century for around $75 to $89 a night, depending on the day. Woof. And that's about half off what Disney's website is charging, which is around 170 for the general public. Um, even annual pass holders are at 119 a night. So this is a substantial discount that's, off of that. That's great news. Wow. Yeah. So uh, folks, if you want to find it, uh, go into the Touring Plants blog and look for Hotwire for an article from uh, John Tierney. And speaking of the studios, Jim, you had mentioned before we got on the air that there's an anniversary coming up, right? Not necessarily a happy anniversary. It's that August 13th was the third anniversary of the closing of the Great Movie Ride. And the cast members who work there decided to commemorate the third anniversary of the, the loss of this attraction by recreating it. And look, a lot of us have seen these these versions of rides that people have done at home where somebody is being pushed around in a laundry basket packed by pieces of plush. <laughs> it's hitting a little too close to home there, Jim, but go ahead. But the team that worked at the Great Movie Ride went the entirely different way. What they did is they broke down the entire attraction and gave everyone the opportunity to play a part. So over 200 former cast members of the Great Movie Ride. <laughs> so they, they take individual bits, like you know, there's one pair that redo the scene from Casablanca. They, they use one of the, the Zoom features to do all of the munchkins in the munchkin land scene all on screen at the same time. This is just fantastic. <laughs> I would suggest at the very least checking out the gangster edition of it. Yeah, it there's two, it's there's called two. the Great Movie Ride Quarantine Edition. And, and they did two versions. Yeah. They did the gangster version and the bandit version. But the gangster version, right. Lynn, for that scene, first theater car number one had to roll into position. 
And then theater mm-hmm. card number two had to come in behind it. And so I was watching this thing and suddenly there's like a minute, minute and a half of dialogue that I had never heard before on the attraction, but it was. Cause you're always in this and always in the second, I'm always, uh, in, the second always thing. in the wrong car, but it's all of these people <laughs> in the windows talking to one another, to, filling that show moment. And it's just sort of like, wow, I, you know, I rode this thing since 89 and never heard or saw any of this stuff. So it's worth it if you're a great movie ride completist. That's fantastic. So there's um, there's also a trailer, right? Yeah, well, it's, it's, I mean, they commit to the whole thing. They actually do, for example, the pre-show. Remember the 10 different trailers you saw before you finally got on the ride vehicle? They recreate those. I mean, there's no Seth Kabersky cute little crab hidden in this thing. But, but you know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, when they get around to doing the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway version of you know, Quarantine Edition, we'll see that. All right, cool. Uh, Jim, on to uh, some Disney pet applications. We haven't done this in a while, mm-hmm. but there were two, I think, that were, uh, that were notable. One is a pet application that Disney, Disney just filed called Model and Detachable Controller for Augmented Reality Virtual Reality Experience. And the reason why I call it to your attention, Jim, is in the image mm-hmm. that Disney has filed for this Model and Detachable Controller, what, what does that look like to you? Well, it's not a Z-Wing, and it's not a Y-Wing, not, so I, no. I'm taking X-Wing. It's an X-Wing, that's right. Yeah. What, so, uh, so it looks like here Disney's, uh, Disney's got, got this idea where uh, for, you know, like when you're playing a video game, mm-hmm. you can use a standard controller with a joystick to move things, you know, left and right or print out. But we've all, as kids built Lego models and, and I did of airplanes and then zoom them around the house pretending it was a real airplane. And I think what, what Disney's done here is said, why not we, why don't we let the virtual reality controller be a model of the thing that you're in and you can zoom around an X-wing and have the virtual reality experience mimic whatever you're doing to it. And it seems like that's a much more intuitive controller, right? No, 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 absolutely. But we have, just for this summer, we had the, the new game Star Wars Squadrons announced okay. where you could choose whether or not you were working for the Rebels and flying an X-Wing or working for the Empire and flying a TIE fighter. So I wonder if this ties into that at all. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. But it's definitely game related. So I wonder if that's a theme park game or a, a controller game. We know they've been doing some Star Wars stuff for the Void, but one wonders when we're ever going to get back into the Void. You know, with its uh, that's true. We have to, uh, we have to talk about that story. Whatever happened there with that intellectual property lawsuit between Disney and the Void? Something happened there. Something and happened. Story yes. So. All right. the uh, The other uh, patent is something that you and I touched on a couple of years ago, even before it rolled out. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we had said that Disney was going to replace start replacing PhotoPass photographers with automated camera boxes around property. And then it happened like a year later. But this is a follow-up on that. And the patent application is called Intelligent Photography with Machine Learning. It was just filed uh, about a week ago. Mm -hmm. And what this is, it looks like it's an enhancement on the original patent where Disney's further refined how they want to train this uh, intelligent camera to take pictures of people. So if you read the the application for the the patent, it says one of the things that they found is that people don't pose naturally 
when they know that they're being photographed, which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to look their best. So one of the things here is uh, in this patent is it ex expressly says that it'll learn how to take photos of people when they're not suspecting it, but when they're in natural poses. You know, one of the ways they program this to do this is of all of the photos that get taken on property, which ones do guests decide to buy? Exactly. Of the span of time that, that this person is in the field of focus, so to speak, this is the pose you're looking for, or as close as we can get. And I'm particularly intrigued by the language here to the effect of including historical control video data uh, associated right. with historical picture data. That's a great, a great point to pick up because it's not just photos now, mm -hmm. it's video. So the patent explicitly mentions onboard ride cameras as well. So that's interesting. Yeah. For years now, Disney has been looking to take advantage of people want to be able to take home chunks of their ride experience. And it's no longer just the photo of the, the slide down Splash Mountain. Yeah, they want video that they can share on Instagram and things like yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's it exactly. Uh, but, but at the same time, I remember once being shown a prototype of basically it was Madame Leota's glass ball. But the idea was that the, what they wanted to sell was the moment of you in the doom buggy interacting with those next generation ghosts in the you know, oh, hitchhiking yeah. ghosts may follow you home. Memore Mota, what is the name of the... the Memento Mori. Yeah, just the notion of, you know, carve out some space there where an image capture in a unique thing that you could place on your desk. Of course, you know, the downside is that sometimes the stuff that they designed to put on your desk almost doesn't make it there. You know, kind of like those those thermal detonator Coke things for Galaxy's Edge. So. <laughs> that was a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens with this, but I would expect that uh, since they've filed the patent, uh, once it's uh, once it's approved, we'll see something like this in the park. I'd love to see what uh, what sort of product they're going to make out of this too. No, yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the story of Animal Kingdom's struggles to come up with a workable nighttime entertainment program. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, on the last show, we had started talking about what went wrong with Disney's Rivers of Light. And that discussion started back when the park opened. Mm -hmm. And Disney realized that there wasn't enough to keep people in the park until nightfall. And Disney had started to make some changes then, but nothing was working out. Why don't you uh, pick up where we left off? Okay. October 9th, 2003, Wishes, a magical gathering of Disney dreams had opened at the Magic Kingdom, had been hugely successful. And on the heels of that, Ann Hamburger, who uh, at that time was the vice president of Walt Disney Creative Entertainment, asked Steve Davidson, the gentleman who came up with Wishes, to join Imagineering as their new creative director of parades and shows worldwide. Okay. And the first thing that got dropped in Steve's lap was, we need a nighttime show for Animal Kingdom. The problem is Animal Kingdom is an entirely different animal, literally, in the theme park world. And, and largely because the safety of the animals are always the top priority. And when in doubt, uh, from an operations point of view... The safety and the behaviors of animals are, are taken into consideration. In fact, Charles Harris had posted online back on February 2019, and it okay. talked about the large animals that were put on an exhibit 
at Animal Kingdom a full year ahead of when the park opened. Take, for example, the rhinos. And the thing from a, a, a training point of view, it's like, okay, we have to get the rhinos to the point where they're comfortable that we're going to be rolling troop carriers through their area every 30 seconds. And, well, how do we do that? And so what they initially did is they took the rhino compound and they just parked two and three troop carriers in the compound and, and left them there. And and sure enough, the rhinos behaved like rhinos. They initially would charge at them and sometimes actually, you know, bang into them. And, and then over time, they begin to realize, well, they're not doing anything. So, okay, we'll, we'll accept that these are part of our environment. And once that behavior had been normalized, what they then did was instead of leaving the troop carriers parked in the area, they began just driving through. I mean, yet they paid Disney employees just to drive in an endless circle through the rhino compound. And they got the same behaviors initially, you know, the sort of, they'd make runs at them and that sort of thing. But again, eventually they realized, well, they're not doing anything. And so by the time the park opened in April of 1998, the rhinos have been climatized to the fact that, okay, these things are rolling through, they, they mean you no harm, they're not taking away your food source, so they're not a threat. So now we switch to poor Steve Davidson, and it's sort of like, okay, so you need a nighttime thing to keep here at, you know, in the park. And it's like, yes, we'd love to have that. However, can't do fireworks because that will startle the animals who are back in the barns. Also, we do have some animals that will stay out on the African savanna overnight and having explosions over overhead. Not a good idea. Also, can't do a phantasmic for largely the same reason. You know, you can't have a show that ends with all sorts of pyro and explosions and that sort of thing. Also, one of the other reasons that they couldn't do a phantasmic at that time is Steve gets the job in the fall of 2003. But in April of 2003, Disney had announced for the fifth anniversary of the park that Expedition Everest was coming. The very place that you would have put a large arena to stage a show is kind of where they decided to drop Everest. So it's like, sorry, the real estate's gone. And again, you can't do pyro. You can't do loud noises. So Steve watches Mickey's Jamming Jungle a number of times. And it's like, so we want to do a nighttime parade, but we can't do light magic. Can't do a Main Street Electrical Parade. And we have these in shadow puppets, Jim. <laughs> we can do shadow puppets. You're not far off at that point. Steve had been shown a wonderful new light effect that basically what it did was it projected onto the ground sort of a wave pattern. It's like, well, wait a minute. What if we put that on a, a moving vehicle so that, that this wave pattern was projected on the ground? And with some tweaking, what it looked like was if you're in a canoe or a boat, how the waves will part in front of your boat. Oh, yeah, yeah. So do it then in front of the parade float? Yeah. So the notion was, okay, oh. so let's take advantage of the fact that we're kind of in a tight spot in regard to where people can stand. So what if we had very, very narrow parade vehicles like canoes or catamarans or, or rowboats or that sort of thing? And this is where the Rivers of Light idea came from. All of the walkways around Discovery Island would magically become a river of light and your, your favorite Disney friends would float around the park. 
Then Expedition Everest opens in April of 2006. Wait, so the Rivers of Light idea is more than 15 or more than 10 years old? Oh, God, yes. Yes. Really? And the name had tested well. And, you know, so it was one of these Oh, yeah, sounds great. Yeah. But they keep crunching the numbers about even with these narrow vehicles, they still were dealing with this, this notion of there's just not enough viewing space. And so he was like, can I talk with horticulture? Can, is there any way we could cut back some of the greenery and create some new viewing places in the park? Because otherwise it means that the primo viewing spot for this is going to be around the Tree of Life in Discovery Village. And okay. the reason <laughs> we're, we're making this nighttime thing is so that people who go to restaurants and go to shops will stay in the park long enough to do all that. And if the only place that's really good viewing is going to be in Discovery Village. We're pulling people out of the shops. We're pulling people out of the restaurants. It's it's all counterintuitive. But horticulture pushed back hard because it's like, again, much like the rhinos being brought in in 97 to be familiarized with the, the troop carriers. I mean, they had been planting and growing this amazing all-green park. That was the whole priority. And it's like, no, we're not going to change what makes this park different from Epcot and the studios and the Magic Kingdom just for a nighttime parade. And so the, the project basically gets canceled in, in 2008. But at the same time, it's not a huge loss because Expedition Everest is doing what it's supposed to. It's the big new thrill ride. It's driving a significant attendance bump at the park. So it's like, okay, we'll figure something out. And what they figured out was World of Color, which opened at Disney's California Adventure in June of 2010. Here is the show that folks can stand in the newly created Pacific Lagoon Amphitheater, 4,000 at a time. It's a 22-minute long show featuring 1,200 fountains. And the beauty of it is, is the way it's set up, you can do two and three shows a night. And you can also offer dining packages and all sorts of merch. And it's like, let's think about cloning this for Disney's Animal Kingdom. We already have the perfect venue for it. We have the lagoon that the Discovery River boats used to go through. And they tried like two and three different versions of this land. There was a couple of months there, starting in November of 98, they, they renamed them Discovery River Taxi. Then in March of 99, uh, they became the Radio Disney River Cruise. I remember this. <laughs> oh, God. And I think the, uh, the, the problem was they really didn't take you anywhere you couldn't see just by walking around the park. No, no, they, they could not. And so why wait in line for that? Yeah. And shuts down in August of 99. And, you know, it, it, it kind of speaks volumes that the Animal Kingdom, since uh, kind of the park is reopened for COVID, they're not using the same vehicles, but they are having the characters float around Discovery River and get you know, sort of waving to the guests. So it's it's their version of those those lovely little not parade things that they're doing at the Magic. The cavalcades. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that they but not not entirely surprised that they decided to use the waterways mm -hmm. for the Animal Kingdom for a number of reasons. One, when you're walking between Africa and Asia, for example, mm -hmm. unless you're in an area where you can see through to the river, mm. you might miss it. Yep. And number two, there are definitely other areas in the park, like other parts of Discovery Island, that you just don't see them. Mm -hmm. I guess the same thing, same thing's true. Like if you're in if you're in the Magic Kingdom and you're in Storybook Circus, you're never gonna see a cavalcade either. 
But uh, the thing that is good is if you happen to be on a bridge mm-hmm. when the water-based cavalcades are coming towards you, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic view oh, yeah. of the characters. It looks really good, yeah. They're doing nice interaction with the guests. I mean, you know, it, it's fun. But but for me, it's, it was always fascinating that the one aspect of the Discovery River boats that hung on long after the boats themselves were gone were how they used the dock areas for meet and greets. You know, you just yeah. <laughs> walk down and, oh, Baloo, you know, Luke, King Louie. And I will say that the uh, it, uh, the best place to see these uh, cavalcades is that walkway between Festival of the Lion King and Pandora. Mm-hmm. There's a bridge uh, that I guess Disney uses for uh, for maintenance vehicles. And if you, if you sit or stand under that bridge... You're not only shaded from the sun, but you're as close as you could possibly get oh, to those characters as well. That's yeah. that's an excellent tip. But here's the thing. So that they, okay, can we do this fountain show like we did at California Adventure? And the show engineers go to Florida, check out this lagoon space on Discovery River in, in the Asia area, and they come back and go, God, I don't know. The problem is in California. Paradise Bay, it's landlocked. There's not a lot of, you know, I mean, yeah, there's some greenery around Paradise Bay, but certainly not the thousands of trees and plants that surround this bay that are regularly dropping leaves and schmutz into the water. And it's just sort of like, you know, we'd have to build a filtration system. And we're talking about a whole different level of maintenance to keep those 1200 fountains going. So could we maybe look at some other technology here? But the problem is also at this point that Epcot's new show, which Harmonious was, in fact, you know, we, we're supposed to be within two months of Harmonious debut, weeks actually, yeah, it's supposed to be yeah. October first, uh, twenty twenty, right? Jim? Yeah, we're literally we're supposed to be within six weeks of it right now. Yeah. But they had already called dibs on a nighttime show featuring characters. So, oh please, <laughs> Fantasmic and uh, and happily ever after would like to, would like to have a word with you. They had been working so long on a new show for Epcot that was supposed to feature characters, and that was going to be the difference from Illuminations. You know, the whole notion of and we're going to do a character based show, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Not so fast. And so this meant, I guess, we're back to phantasmic water screens. But they did a test, supposedly in California, on you know the phantasmic water screens of footage from Brother Bear, which you may remember had these wonderful scenes of the Aurora Borealis with, with animals. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they never did anything with, with that. Well, this was supposed to be that thing. It was just the notion of look at these animals in the Aurora Borealis and we can do these on these fountain screens. And it's like, that's our show. And so it's like, okay, so let's get started on that. So it gets announced and suddenly Rivers of Light is back on. It's October of 2013. It's part of an aggressive uh, nighttime expansion plan that will include Pandora, the world of Avatar, and likewise, a nocturnal version of the Kilimanjaro Safaris. Remember on the last show, we talked about how we're going to have to spend all this money on new lighting rigs and that sort of thing. And it's like, okay, right. Absolutely. If we're, we're going to have a nighttime program at Animal Kingdom, we got to have this. So they get construction started in 2014, but they want to have at least as many seats available as they did in California. So remember, we were talking 4,000. But the problem is the only way they can get at least 4,000 is they have to split the seating area. 
It's a south and it's an east seating area. The the south one is closest to the Finding Nemo Theater, and then of course the the one to the east is closest to Expedition Everest. Sure. And so each of these are able to hold twenty five hundred people. So you get five thousand people a show. So in theory, on a busy night. You can at least do two shows, so that's 10,000 people, and if the park's staying open especially late, you can get three. The entertainment guys are like, okay, but the one thing about Paradise Bay is that everybody who's standing mm-hmm. in the amphitheater there, there's just one focal point. They're all looking straight forward. So you can present the show right out on the lagoon and you stretch it out, whereas if you've split the viewing area, it's like, okay, now we have to create a focal point for both of them. And that's a smaller space. And suddenly the water screen idea isn't really working as well as they thought it would. Right. So the two, the two seating areas, um, the one closer to Dino land faces basically North, Northwest. Right. Mm -hmm. And the one in Asia faces Southwest. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly this went from a water screen based show to maybe we need to do different elements. So this is when we get our boats, we get our lotuses, we get our floating animals. Oh, that wasn't one of the original ideas because there's a lot of technology in those. Yeah, there is. But the very thing that prevented them from doing the 1200 water fountains that lit from below kind of bit Mm -hmm. them in the butt. The, The same natural plant material is now gumming up the engines of your remote-controlled animal floats. Yeah, and that's that's true everywhere in, in Florida. Like when I go when I go fishing around my condo in in celebration, mm-hmm. you can't. Every time you cast something, you're pulling up you know basically weeds or weeds or vegetation everywhere I go. Yeah, it's it's not just Disney; it's everywhere. And you got to remember the original version of the show, Len, was so much more involved and. The shaman on on the two different boats, they were actually at one point, the lagoon was supposed to be full of not just the animal sculptures and the giant lotus floats and the one giant one that that forms the fountain and the flame effect. There were also supposed to be dozens of little lotuses in the water that... Right. And the the shaman's gestures were supposed to be controlling these things, right? Yeah. And it just... Yeah. All right. But they start construction in, in 2014 and they then begin and rehearsing after hours after the park closes for the night. Now, also remember the animal normalization part of this. In order to get the animals in the barns in Asia used to what this show is going to sound like, they're playing the music from the show months ahead of time. They just, you know, at the time when the show is supposed to come on, the music mm-hmm. goes on in the barn and the tigers are like, what, what is this? <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> this is new. This is new. <laughs> but the show is just not coming together. And we've already previously announced that this show is actually going to be opening on April 22nd, again, of the 18th anniversary of the park opening to the world. And, and finally, on April 5th, Disney has to admit they're less than two weeks out at this point from the, the opening of the show. And it's like, right. it's not going to work. It's not ready. But Disney's get out of jail free card is just a day earlier on April 4th. John Favreau's live action rethink of the Jungle Book is open to huge success. And so they announced that later this summer, you're going to see a temporary show. The Jungle Book, Alive with Magic, a limited engagement show <laughs> that will run at the park, you know, because again, there are all these people who have booked 
already booked dining packages to see Rivers of Light. I've already booked special hotel packages that I want to say there was a litho or something to that effect. So they get a show up out of the ground. Uh, but the weird part of it is before they do that, on the night of, of April 19th, because they're doing a press event, they actually show a chunk of the show, the original Rivers of Light, to the press, to the effect of, okay, this gives you a taste of the type of show we'll eventually be doing in this space. And the press just falls over the show like wolves. Okay, we now understand why this thing got delayed. It's terrible. <laughs> Not the effect that they were looking no, for. No, and, and they never honestly recover. Jungle Book Alive with Magic only runs through September of 2016. And you you saw it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, by bringing up something traumatic? Was well, it no, to- <laughs> I mean, I think you and I talked about this back in the day. It was like, you know, the temporary floats they, they built. What was the joke we made at the time? You know, the prom committee did a wonderful job. You know, to- <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Gosh, Wally, you guys did great. The orphanage is sure to be saved now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've never seen tissue paper and chicken wire look that good. People had paid good money to come down to Florida to see this show. I was down there when they did announce this on, on April 5th that the show was delayed. It went into Animal Kingdom for an entirely different announcement. They broke the news that day, but they had the entertainment people there to try to sort of explain, you know, what the Jungle Book show was doing or going to be really? like. And oh my God, they looked like raccoons, Lynn. Oh, I remember you, I remember you saying this when, when you were there, like they had been all up all night, like trying to figure out. Yeah. And it's just, you know, they, uh. these exhausted, beaten people who were trying desperately to make this show work and ultimately had to admit it's not going to work. And okay, revert to plan B. We're, we're doing Jungle Book, a lie with magic, but okay. Show goes dark, September 5th, 2016. It's not till February of the following year that they announce, okay, February 17th, we're finally going to send out Rivers of Light. Previews begin on the 10th, and you know from your own guest satisfaction surveys that from right off the bat they had a problem, right? It was problematic from the beginning because much of the technology didn't work. Mm -hmm. And they had based so much of the show's choreography, Mm -hmm. both from scene to scene. And then within the scenes, they had based so much of it on that technology working. We mentioned the thing about the shaman, Mm -hmm. you know, gesturing to move things around. And when that technology wasn't available, Mm -hmm. it cut out so much of the show Mm -hmm. that it didn't make sense. And and my analogy was, imagine Star Wars Mm -hmm. without the special effects and the sounds. So imagine Star Wars as a stage show. (laughs) That's Oy. that's how it was. Mm. Yeah. Not I mean you could have the best script in the world and the best actors in the world, mm. but you're missing something there that would have brought it all together. And that was the that was the big problem there. But you know, at the same time, there were absolutely magical effects in the show. I remember there was a projection effect that they did on the woods that basically are up against Discovery Island. But they do this projection effect where you'd suddenly see like an elephant moving through the brush. Oh, those are those are fantastic. Yeah. And I haven't checked. I mean, the, the park isn't open late enough right now, but mm-hmm. I was hoping that that would be one of the things that they kept. Yeah. I mean, same thing here. Same thing here. But... But they kept tinkering. For example, Memorial Day 2019, we got 
a 2.0 version of, of Rivers of Light. We got Rivers of Light, we are one. And this is now the version <laughs> where it's all, we meet in the midpoint. Epcot's harmonious is, it's, it's impossibly delayed. So screw it. We get characters. And so they now shoehorn characters into the show, but it still has the same issue. After the summer season of 2019, late September, word breaks, okay, we're cutting the budget on Rivers of Light. And they actually remove the shaman characters because it's like, look, yeah. you know, we, we need to lower our operational price point for the show. So the show makes even less sense now because it's like, well, how are the, what's with the boats that are now floating around by themselves? Exactly. And then, of course, just last month, we got word that due to the operational challenges that the Walt Disney World Resort is facing right now, Rivers of Light is among the shows. Like uh, Not coming back. Yeah, yeah, Primeval World. And a friend called just this week to say the boats for Rivers of Light have disappeared out of Discovery River Lagoon. They were pulled, I want to say, a week, 10 days ago. Yeah. Given the amount of money that was spent on those two seating areas that seat 2,500 people, they are already kicking the tires of a new show. They know, especially for this park to have a good, solid nighttime operation, they need mm -hmm. some sort of nighttime show in this lagoon space. But right now, it's working the Venn diagrams of can't be pyro, can't make, you know, can't be something noisy that will upset the animals. And it has to fit this space. And at the same time, it has to be a show that can be presented in such a way that people sitting in the, like you said, the, the seating area closest to Dinoland USA and people seated next to Christian Everest, you know, all of them feel like they're seeing the full show. So what is that? I'd, I'd be surprised if we see anything in the next three or four years, just because of what's going on now and the amount of time it takes to- uh, Oh, no, 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 absolutely. That's realistically reflecting the timetable coupled with the fact that right now the priority is just keeping the parks open, let alone let's have a successful nighttime program. But I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Animal Kingdom will, in the meantime, go to the Epcot Festival model and just do after-hours events in the park that include you know, food and beverage. The only problem with that is that you do delete the impact, I mean, face it, you know, Epcot, you know, this is a wonderful thing. Right oh, yeah, now. yeah. You'd, you'd be competing with Epcot. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. On the other hand, just this past holiday season, Animal Kingdom debuted a wonderful new holiday program, especially in the Discovery Island area with the, the winter animals, the Merry Menagerie, I think they were called. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I vaguely remember this. Yeah, but that was good. That was. That was. So entertainment whiffed on Rivers of Light, but they had a success with Merry Menagerie and they'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. They swung for the fences mm -hmm. with Rivers of Light. They didn't quite get there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I give them credit for attempting something very, very ambitious with it. It didn't work out, but still, yeah. sometimes you try things and they just don't work. Sometimes you try. Fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, Photos from Disneyland. And you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. Were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's curating a collection of Jasper Johns prints made from 1960 to 2018 in an exhibit called An Art of Changes. 
now through September 20th at the Walker Art Center in beautiful downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota. Admission is $15 for adults, free for kids under age 18. And Aaron wants everyone to know Jasper was more than just flags, man. <laughs> <laughs> While Aaron's contemplating that, please go into iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Genesis Len, we will see you on the next show.